0: 5, D and to conquerors, for the effects formative, invigorative, provocative, of the northern invasions had a most direct bearing on the expansion that was to come in the next age even for those state and sober western countries, England and France and Italy, which had long passed through their time of migration, and where the Vikings could not, as in the far northeast and northwest, extend the area of civilization or geographical knowledge, lastly, The new start made by England in exploration, and trade, and even in pilgrimage, is plainly the result in action and reaction of the Norse and Danish attacks, waking up the old spirit of a kindred race, of elder cousins that had sunk into a lethargy and forgotten their seamanship, but from the peace of what 878 Alfred first of all began to build an English navy able to meet and chase and run down the Viking keels then established a yearly pilgrimage and almsgiving at the threshold of the apostles in Rome, then sent out various captains in his service to explore as much of the world as was practicable for his new description of Europe. His crowning effort in religious extension was in 883, when Sajtham and Athelstan bore Alfred's gifts and letters to Jerusalem and to India, to the Christians of Santome, the corresponding triumph of the king's scientific exploration, the discoveries in the White Sea and the Baltic, seem to have happened nearer the end of the reign, somewhere before 895. CHAPTER III: THE CRUSADES AND LAND TRAVEL. circa 1100-1300, the Pilgrims were the pioneers of the growth of Europe and of Christendom until Charlemagne, in one sense, in another and a broader sense until the Crusades, their original work, as far as it can be called original at all, was entirely overshadowed by the Vikings who made real discoveries of the first importance in hunting for new worlds to conquer, but when first the Viking rovers themselves, and then the Northmen, settled in the colonies and the old home, took up Christianity as the Arabs had taken up Islam, the Pilgrim Spirit was translated, as it were, into new and more powerful forms, through the conversion of Hungary and of Scandinavia, Europe, Christian Europe, was compact together in a stronger empire than that of Constantine or of Charlemagne a spiritual federation, not a political unity one and in divided not invisible subordination, but in a common zeal for a common faith. This was the state of the Latin world, and in a measure of the Greek and Russian world as well. By the middle of the 11th century, when the Byzantine emperors had broken the strength of the Eastern Caliphate, and recovered most of the realm of Heraclius, when the Roman papacy under Leoiax, Hildebrand, and Urban began its political stage, aiming, and in great part successfully aiming, that an imperial federation of Europe under religion, when on every side, in Spain, in France, in England, in Germany, and in Italy, the nations that had been slowly built into that Domus day were filled with fresh life and purpose from the Norsemen, who, as pirates, or conquerors, or brothers, had settled among them, the long crusade that had gone on for 400 years in Spain and in southern Italy and in the Levant, which had raged round the islands of the Mediterranean, or the Passace of the Alps and Pyrenees, or the banks of the Loire and the Tiber, was now, on the eve of the first Syrian crusade of 1096, rapidly tending to decisive victory. Toledo was won back in 1084, the Norman dominion in the two Sicilies had already taken the place of a weakened halting Christian defense against Arab emirs, pilgrims were going in thousands where there had been tens or units by the reopened land route through Hungary, only in the far east the first appearance of the turks as moslem champions threatened in ebb of the tide christendom had seen a wonderful expansion of the heathen north now that it had won the northmen to itself it was ready to imitate their example the deliberate purpose of the popes only gave direction to the universal feeling of restless and abundant energy longing for wider action but it was not the crusading movement itself which brought so much new light so much new knowledge of the world to europe as the results of that impulse in trade, in travel, and in Kolonizatayan, one from the 11th century, from the beginning of this period, all the greater pilgrims, see the English merchant, King Sigurd of Norway, Abbot Daniel of Kiev, and their followers, have something more in view than piety, they have a general interest in travel, some of them a special interest in trade, most of them go to fight as well as to pray. too but as the warlike spirit of the church militant seems to grow tired, and its efforts at founding new kingdoms in Antioch, in Jerusalem, in Cyprus, in Byzantium more and more fruitless. The direct expansion of European knowledge, begins in scientific travel. Vinland and Greenland and the White Sea and the other Norse discoveries were discoveries made by a great race for itself, and connected as they were with the main lines of trade or with religious sentiment. They were unrealized by the general consciousness of the West. A full account of the Norse voyages to America was lying at the Vatican when Columbus was searching for proofs of land within reach, of India, as he expected, in the place where he found in a known continent and a new world, but no one knew of these, even the Greenland colony had been lost and forgotten in the 15th century, in 1553 the English sailors reached the land of Archangel without a suspicion that Ophir or Thorohund had been there 600 years before, Russia from the 13th to the 16th centuries was almost out of sight and mind under the Tartar and Muslim rule, but the missionaries and merchants and travelers who followed the crusading armies to the Euphrates, and crept along the caravan routes to Ceylon and the China Sea, added further and Central Asia, the Sauri Arabum India, to the knowledge of Christendom, and as this knowledge was bound up with gain. As the Polos and their companions had really opened to the knowledge of the West those great prizes of material wealth which even the Rome of Trajan had never fully grasped, and which had been shared between Arabs and natives without arrival for so long, it was not likely to be easily forgotten, from that time, at the end of the 13th century, to the success of the Portuguese on another road, at the end of the 15th. European interest was fairly engaged in pressing in upon the old land routes and getting an ever larger share of their profits. Three there was another side of the same problem, a still brighter hope for men who could dare to try it. By finding a sea path to the Indian storehouse, mariners like the Venetians and Genoese, or their Spanish pupils, might cut into the treasuries of the world at their very source, found a trade empire for their country, and gain the sole command of heaven on earth of the true terrestrial paradise, then masters of the wealth of the East and of the fighting power of the West, the Christian nations might crush their old enemy, Islam, between two weights, hammer and anvil, might fairly strike for the rule of the entire habitable globe. It was with thoughts of this kind, vaguely inspired by the Crusades and their legacy of discovery from Baghdad to Cathay, that the Vivaldi left Genoa to find an ocean way round Africa in 1281-91 with the hope of going to the parts of the Indies, that Valocello reached the Canary Islands about 1270, and that volunteers went on the same quest nearly 20 times in the next four generations before their spasmodic efforts were organized and pressed on to achievement by Henry and his. Portuguese 1412-1497. For lastly, the renaissance of Europe in the Crusading Age was not only practical but spiritual. Science was at last touched and changed by the new life scarcely less than the art of war or the social state of the towns, or the trade of the commercial republics, and geography and its kindred were not long in feeling some change, though it was very slowly realized and made full. The first notice of the magnet in the West is of about 1180, the use of the spy sailors is perhaps rightly dated from the 13th century and the discoveries of Amalfi, but to a return, we must trace more definitely the preparation which has been generally described for the work of Prince Henry I in the Pilgrim Warriors. And the travelers of the New Age, merchants or preachers or sight southeasters, who follow out the eastern land routes, next in the seamen who begin to break the spell of the western ocean and to open up the high seas, the true high roads of the world, lastly in the students who, most of all, in their maps and globes and instruments and theories, are the trainers and masters and spiritual ancestors of the hero of discovery. The first of these classes supplied the matter. The attractions and rewards of the exploring movement, the others may be said to provide the form by which success was reached, genius and seamanship, and the one was as much needed as the other, human reason did its work so well because of a reasonable hope, men crept round Africa in face of the Atlantic storms because of the golden east beyond, it was as we have seen the land travelers of the 12th and 13th and 14th centuries who laid open that golden east to Europe, and added inspiring knowledge to a dream and a tradition and of these land travelers the first worth notice are Seawolf of Worcester, Adlard of Bath, and Daniel of Kiev, three of that host of peaceful pilgrims who followed the conquerors of the First Crusade 1096-9. All of these left their recollections and all of them are of the new time, in sharp contrast with the hordes of earlier pilgrims, even the most recent, like Bishop Alderd of Worcester and York, who crowned William the Conqueror, or Swine Godwine's son, or Thorhund. Whose visits are all mere visits of penitence? Every fresh conversion of the northern nations brought a fresh stream of devotees to Italy and to Syria. A fresh revival of the fourth-century habit of pilgrimage, but when medieval Christendom had been formed and religious passion was more steady and less unworldly, the discoverer and observer blends with the pilgrim in all the records left to us. Wolf was a layman and a trader who went on a pilgrimage 1102 and became a monk at the instance of his confessor, Wolfston. Bishop of Worcester, but though his narrative has been called in immense advance on all earlier guidebooks, it ends with the Holy Land and does not touch even the outlying pilgrim sites, in Mesopotamia or Egypt, visited and described by Sylvia or Fidelis, starting some three years after the Latin capture of Jerusalem in 1099. The English traveler takes us up six different routes from Italy to Syria, evidence of the vast development of Mediterranean intercourse and of practical security against pirates. Gained very largely since the second millennium began, his own way, by Monopoly, Corfu, Corinth, and Athens, took him to Rhodes, which once had the idol called Colossus, one of the seven wonders of the world, but destroyed by the Persians, with nearly all the land of Romania, on their way to Spain, these were the Colossians to whom Saint Paul wrote, thence to Myra in Lycia, the port of the Adriatic as Constantinople is of the Aegean, landing at Jaffa, After a sail of thirteen weeks, Sea Wolf was soon among the wonders of Jerusalem that had not grown less since Arkoff's day. At the head of the Sepulchre Church was the famous Navel of the Earth, now called Compass, which Christ measured with his own hands, working salvation in the midst. As say the Psalms, for the same legends were backed by the same texts as in the sixth or seventh century. Going down to the Jordan, four leagues east of Jericho, Arabia was seen beyond, hateful to all who worship God but having the mount whence Elias was carried into heaven in a chariot of fire, 18 days journey from the Jordan is Mount Sinai, by way of Hebron, where, Abraham's home oak, was still standing, and where, as pilgrims said, he, sat and ate with God, but Seawolf himself did not go outside Palestine, on the side, after traveling through Galilee and noting the house of Saint Archie Triclin Saint, ruler of the feast, that Cana, he made his way to Byzantium by sea, Escaping the Saracen cruisers and weathering the storms that wrecked in the roads of Jaffa before his eyes some twenty of the pilgrim and merchant fleet then lying at anchor. But not only can we see from this how the religious and commercial traffic of the Mediterranean had been increased by the Crusades, the main lines of that traffic had been changed. Since the Muslim conquest, visitors had mostly come to Palestine through Egypt. The Christian conquest of Syria reopened the direct sea route as the conversion of Hungary and northeast Europe had reopened the direct land route 100 years before C 1100. The lines of the Danube Valley and of the Roman Sea were both cleared, and the west again poured itself into the east as it had not done since Alexander's conquest, since the oriental reaction had set in about the time of the Christian era, rising higher and higher into the full tide of the Persian and Arabian revivals of Asiatic Empire. Among the varied classes of pilgrim crusaders in Seawolf's day were student devotees like Adlard and Daniel from the two extremes of Christendom, England and Russia, Bath and Kiev, northern sea kings like Sigurd, or Robert of Normandy, even Jewish travelers, rabbis, or merchants like Benjamin of Tudla. All these, as following in the wake of the first crusade, and for the most part stopping at the high water mark of its advance, belong to the same group and time and impulse as Seawolf himself and are clearly marked off from the great 14th century travelers who acted as pioneers of the western faith and empire rather than as camp followers of its armies but except abbot daniel c1106 and rabbi benjamin c 1167-73, who stand apart none of our other pilgrim examples of 12th century exploration have anything original or remarkable about them adlard or fr the countryman of seolf and Willigold, is still more the herald of roger bacon and of necan he is a theorist far more than a traveler, and his journey through Egypt and Arabia C 11 10, 14 appears mainly as one of scientific interest. He sought the causes of all things and the mysteries of nature, and it was with a rich spoil of letters, especially of Greek and Arab manuscripts, that he returned to England to translate into Latin one of the chief works of Saracen astronomy, the Charisman Tables. We have already met with him in trying to follow the transmission of Greek and Indian geography or world science through the Arabs to Europe and to Christendom. Abbot Daniel of Kiev in himself is a very ordinary and rather mendacious traveler, a harmless, devout pilgrim, as careless in all matters of fact as Antonine the martyr, but, as representing the beginnings of Russian expansion, he is of almost unique interest and value. His tract upon the Holy Road is one of the first proofs of his people's interest in the world beyond their steps, and of that nation's readiness and purpose to expand Christian civilization in the East as the Franks, after breaking through the Western Muslims, were now doing, medieval Russia, Russia before the Tartars, after the Northmen, was now a very different thing from the, people fouler than dogs, of the Arab explorers, the House of Rurik had guided and organized a nation second to none in Europe, till it had fallen into the general lines of Christian development. Jury trial and justices in a size it had taken from the West, its church and faith and architecture. Its manners and morals came to it from the court of the Roman Empire on the Bosphorus. Daniel and the other Russians, who passed through that empire in the age of Nestor for trade or for religion, were the vanguard of a great national and race expansion that is now just beginning to bestride the world. In 1022 and 1062 two monks of Kiev are recorded. Out of a crowd of the unknown, as visitors to Syria, and about 1106, probably through the news of the Frankish conquest, Daniel left his native river, the snow, in little Russia, and passed through Byzantium then by way of the archipelago and Cyprus to Jaffa and Jerusalem, describing roughly in versts or half miles the whole distance and that of every stage. His tome is much like Sea Wolf's and his mistakes are quite as bad, though he tells of nothing but what was seen with these self-same eyes. The sea of Sodom exhales a burning and fetid breath that lays waste all the country, as with burning sulphur. For the torments of hell lie under it. This, however, he did not see. Saracen brigands prevented him, and he learned that the very smell of the place would make one ill. His measurements of distance are all his own. Capernaum is in the desert, not far from the great sea of Ant, and eight a- bursts four miles from Caesarea, half the distance given in the next chapter, as between Acre and Haifa and less than half the breadth of the Sea of Tiberias, the Jordan reminds Daniel of his own river, the snow, especially in its sheets of stagnant water, Samaria, or Sebastopol. He confuses with Madlis, bethshon with Bashan, Lida with Ramlay, Caesarea Philippi with the greater Caesarea on the coast, not far from Capernaum and the Jordan is, another large river that comes out of the Lake of Genesaret, and falls into the Sea of Tiberias, passing by a large town called Decapolis. From Mount Lebanon, six rivers flow east into the Lake of Genesaret and six west towards Great Antioch, so that this is called Mesopotamia, or the land between the rivers, and Abraham's Haran is between these rivers that feed the Lake of Genesaret. Daniel has left us also an account of his visits to March Saba convent in the Kedron Gorge near the Dead Sea, to Damascus in the train of Prince Baldwin, and to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem, to witness the miracle of the Holy Fire. Noticed by Bernard the Wise, as a sort of counterpart to the wonder of Bethhoron, Also retold by Daniel, when the sun stood still while Joshua conquered of It is not in outlook, nor in knowledge nor even in the actual ground traversed that these later pilgrims show any advance on the chief of the earlier travelers, it is in the new life and movement, in the new hope they give us of greater things than these. This is the interest to us in King Sigurd of Norway 1107-11 a Crusader Norseman in the New Age that owed so much of its very life to the Northmen, but was only to be noticed here as a possible type of the explorer chief possible, not actual for his voyage added nothing definite to the knowledge or expansion of Christendom, his campaign in Jacob's Land or Galicia, and his attack on Moslem Lisbon, some forty years before it became the head and heart of Portugal, like his exploits in the Balearics, show us a point in the steady decline of Western Islam, and so far may be called a preparation for Prince Henry's work, but properly as a chapter of Portuguese, not of general European, growth. There were many others like Sigurd, Robert of Normandy, Godric the English pirate, who fought his way through the Saracen fleets with a spear shaft for his banner, Edgar the Edeling, grandson of Edmund Ironside, the Dartmouth fleet of 1147 which retook Lisbon, but the Latin conquest of Syria has now brought us past the Crusades, in the narrower sense to their results, in the exploration of the further east, the first great name of this time, of our next main chapter of preparation, is Benjamin of Tudla, but standing as he does well within the earlier age, when the primary interest was the holy war itself, he is also the last of the Palestine travelers of those westerns whose real horizon was the sacred east of Syria, he is a little before the awakening of universal interest in the unknown world, For the Christian Northmen lost with the new definiteness of the new faith much of their old infinite unrest and fierce inquisitive love of wandering, and their spirit, though related to the whole Catholic West by the crusading movement, was not fully realized till the world had been explored and made known, till the men of Europe were at home in every country and on every sea. Benjamin, as a Jew and a rabbi, has the interest of a sectary, and his work was not of a kind that would readily win the attention of the Christian world. So the value of his travels was hidden till religious divisions had ceased to govern the direction of progress. He visited the Jewish communities from Navarre to Baghdad, and described those beyond from Baghdad to China. But he wrote for his own people and none but they seem to have cared about him. What he discovered C. 1160-73 was for himself and for Judaism. And only his actual place in the 12th century makes him a forerunner of the Polos or of Prince Henry. We may see this from his hopeless strangeness and confusion in Rome, like a Frank in Pekin or Delhi. The Church of St. Peter is on the site of the great palace of Julius Caesar, near which are eighty halls of the eighty kings called emperors from Tarquin to Pope in the father of Charles, who first took Spain from the Saracens. In the outskirts of the city is the palace of Titus, who was deposed by three hundred senators for wasting three years over the siege of Jerusalem which he should have finished in two, and so on with the hall of Galba three miles round and having a window for each day in the year, with St. John Lateran and its Hebrew trophies, two copper pillars from the Temple of Solomon, that's sweat at the anniversary of the burning of the Temple, and the statues of Samson and of Absalom in the same place. So with Sorrento, built by Adarazar when he fled before King David, with the old Roman tunnel between Naples and Pozuoli, built by Romulus who feared David and Job, with Apulia, which is from King Pool of Assyria. In all this we had as it were Catholic mythology turned inside out. David put into Italy when the West put Trajan at the sources of the Nile. It was not likely that writing of this sort would be read in the society of the popes and the schoolmen, the friars and the crusaders, any more than the Buddhist records of missionary travel from China one thousand years before. The religious passion which had set the crusaders in motion would keep Catholics as long as it might from the Jews, Turks, infidels, and heretics they conquered and among whom they settled, but with the final loss of Jerusalem by the Latins, and the overthrow of the Baghdad Caliphate by the Mongol Tartars 1258, the barrier of fanatic hatred was weakened, and Central Asia became an attraction to Christendom instead of a gin horror, without four men void, except for Huns and Turks and demons, the papal court sent mission after mission to convert the Tartars, who were wavering, as men supposed, between Islam and the Church and with the first missionaries to the House of Genghis went the first Italian merchants who opened the court of the great Khan to Venice and to Genoa. As early as 1243 an Englishman is noticed as living among the Western Horde, the conquerors of Russia, but official intercourse begins in 1246 with John the Plano Carpini. This man, a Franciscan of Naples, started in 1245 as the legate of Pope Innocent IV to the Tartars, took the northern overland route through Germany and Poland. Reached Kiev, the metropolis of Russia, through help of the Duke of Krakow, and at last appeared in the camp of Batu, on the Volga, hence by the Sea of Aral, of moderate size with many islands, to the court of Batu's brother, the great Khan, Khwouk, himself, where the Christian stranger found himself one of a crowd of 4,000 envoys from every part of Asia 1246. After 16 months Carpini made his way back by the same route, over the plains, and through Kiev. To give at Rome the first genuine account of Tartary, in its widest sense, from the Dnieper to China 1247, the great rivers and lakes and mountains of Russia and Turkestan, the position and distribution of the land and its peoples, even from the Caspian to the Northern Ocean, where men are said to have dogs' faces, are now first described by an honest and clear-headed and keen-ed observer, neither timid nor credulous. Carpini really begins the reliable Western map of further Asia. His personal knowledge did not reach China or India, but in his book of the Tartars, Europe was told nearly the whole truth, and almost nothing but the truth, about the vast tract and the great races between the Carpathians and the Gobi Desert. In the same was included the first fair account of the manners and history of the Mongols whom we call Tartars, and the simple truthfulness of the friar stands out in all the illusions that make his work so human, his interviews with the Tartar chiefs and with brother travelers his dangers and difficulties from lettuce robbers and abandoned or guarded ferries, his passage of the Dnieper on the ice, his last three weeks on, trotting, hacks over the steps, we have gone a good way from Abbot Daniel, for in John the Plano Carpini Christian Europe has at last a real explorer, a real historian, a genuine man of science, in the service of the church and of discovery. Carpini was followed after six years by William de Rubruquis fleming sent by St. Louis of France on the same errand of conversion and discovery 1253, but by a different route, through the Black Sea, and Cherson, over the Don, at the head of Azov, that divides Europe and Asia, as the Nile divides Asia and Africa, to the great camp on the Volga, the greatest river I had ever seen, which comes from great Bulgaria in the north and falls into a lake the Caspian Sea, that would take four months to journey round, Higher in their course the Don and the Volga, are not more than ten days journey apart, but verges they run south. The Caspian is, made out of the Volga and the rivers that flow into it from Persia, thence through the iron gates of Durband, between the Caspian and the Caucasus, which Alexander made to shut the barbarians out of Persia, helped by a Nestorian, who possessed influence at the Tartar court. Like so many of his church, Rubrukis reached the Alps of the Altaic country where he found a small Nestorian lordship, governed like the papal states, by a priest, who was at least one original of the great medieval phantom Priester John, crossing the great steppes of eastern Tartary, like the rolling sea to a look at, Rubrukis at last reached the Mongol headquarters at Karakoram, satisfied on the way that the Caspian had no northern outlet, as Strabo and Isidore had imagined, thence he made his way home without much fresh result, Though Rubruckes is well called the most brilliant and literary of the medieval travelers, his mission was fruitless, and the interest of his work lay rather in recording custom and myth in sociology than in adding anything definite to the geographical knowledge of the West. John the Plano had already been over the ground to Karakorum and recorded all the main characteristics of the lands west of the Gobi Desert. The further advance east to China, south to India, was yet to come. But while Rubrukis was still among the charters. Niccolò and Matteo Polo, the uncles of the more famous Marco, were trading 1255-65 to the Crimea and the districts of southern Russia that were now under the Western Horde, and soon after, following the caravans to Bokhara, they were drawn on to the court of Kublai Khan, then somewhere near the wall of China. After a most friendly reception they were sent back to Europe with presents and a letter to Pope Clement Ivey, offering a welcome and maintenance to Christian teachers uplay, had often questioned the polos of the western lands, and now he asked for one hundred lands, to show him the Christian faith, for Christ he held to be the only God, furnished with the imperial passport of the golden tablet, our merchants made their way back to Acre in April, 1269, they found the old Pope dead, Gregory X in his place, and he showed a coolness in answering the Khan's requests, but in 1271 they set out on their second journey to the furthest east, taking with them two friar preachers and their nephew Marco, now nineteen years of age. In Armenia the friars took alarm at the troubled state of the Nearer East and turned back, just as Augustine of Canterbury tried to find a way out of the mission to the English that Pope Gregory I laid upon him in 597, for the church it was perhaps as momentous a time now as then, the thirteenth century, if it had ended in the Christianizing of the Mongol Empire would have turned the Catholic victory of the 4th and 6th centuries in the West, the victory that had been worked out in the next 700 years to fuller and fuller realization, into a world empire, which did come at last for European civilization, but not for Christendom. The Polos however kept on their way northeast for more than 1,000 days, 3 years and a half, till they stood in the presence of Kublai Khan, beyond Gobi and the Great Wall and the mountain barriers of China, in or Pekin, princess and crown of city's capital, their journey was first through Armenia lesser and greater, then through mosul Inaba to Baghdad, where the last, caliph and pope of the Saracens, had been butchered by Huldalu and his Tartars, Salman so a and thrown into the Tigris by one account, walled up alive by another, in 1258. But though the stories in Marco's journal are a main interest of his work, as a summary and reflection of the science and history and general culture of the Christian world of his time, we must not here look outside his geography, and his first place note of value is on the Caspian, which coneth in circuit 2800 miles and is like a lake, having no union with other seas and in which are many islands, cities, and castles, the extent of the Nestorian missions, through all parts of India and to Cairo and Baghdad, and wherever Christians dwell, Strikes him even now at the beginning of his travels much more when he finds their churches on the Hoan Ho and the Yangtzekian declining indeed, but still living to a witness to the part which that great heresy had played as an intermediary between the further and the nearer east, a part which history has never yet worked out. Entering Persia as traders, the Polos went naturally to Ormuz, already the great mart of Islam for the Indian trade, where Europeans really entered the third, and, to them, a known belt of the world. After passing from a zone of known homeland through one of enemy's country, known and only known as such, failing to take the sea route at Ormuz for China, as they had hoped, our Italians were obliged.